So I'm going to uh, speak to you guys today on um, what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Um, and uh, I, I've actually titled the talk, the, the Sober Intoxication of the Spirit. Um, and I'll get round to explaining why I've given it that slightly fancy-sounding title in a minute or two. But I'm going to talk about what it means that for God to come and live in us. And to essentially what I want to do is to, to help us think, if that's true, what does that then mean for m- my life as an individual Christian day to day, but also when we come together as the church? What does it mean that God is present here? And how do we just consciously be aware of that? Um, and be intentional as we come together as a church. Now, um, we were praying a couple of minutes ago about what's happened in Syria and Turkey, and uh, gosh, I was kind of just sitting there thinking, wow, you know, I'm going to come and talk about church and worship, and it could, just, it could feel a little kind of inward-looking, you know, to think about our spirituality when there's so much suffering in the world around us, so much need, but actually... Um, I was going to get around to saying this later, but I wanted to say at the start, Jesus said to his disciples, it's better that I go so I can send the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, he's going to help you, the church, remember the things I taught you, remember the things that I did, but also uh, he will help you, church, go and do greater things, which is possibly one of the most audacious lines of the Bible Jesus says to his church, you will go out into the world and do greater, greater in number works than that he did. And so Jesus gives his people the Holy Spirit. God comes to live in us so that actually we may be Jesus' hands and feet in the world, in all the places that we are sent into where there is great, great need. And so I'm going to talk about what happens when we worship. I'm going to talk about us you know, experiencing the joy in the Holy Spirit, uh, but that's not the end goal, if that makes sense. The end goal is always to fulfil the mission of Christ to the world. Um, That's a bit of a spoiler for where we're going, but I just felt like I should say it. Cool. Okay. Um, It's going to be a bit of a strange talk um, in that I'm going to jump around the New Testament a little bit. Um, Normally, I like to just get a a passage of Scripture, camp out in there and... um, preach it, but uh, just I want to help us just see the kind of picture that the New Testament gives us of life in the Spirit and what happens when the church comes together. Um, so we're going to start off in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have a Bible, why don't you open it up there? Um, and that, we'll, we're going to start there, go for a little wander into Ephesians, come back via Colossians, and then return to um, 1 Corinthians. So... I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to come and help. And maybe whilst I read it, if, if my beautiful wife at the back could grab my bottle of water and bring it up, that would be great. <laughs> she looks slightly outraged at that. Okay. Thank you, my love. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans... Somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord 
There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. And to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them uh, to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Amen. Heavenly Father, what a joy to be with your people and together seek your face. Thank you for your kindness to us, your lavish grace. Thank you for sins forgiven. Thank you for love poured into our hearts, for acceptance that you brought us close Thank you that out of the chaos you bring order and give purpose to us. Thank you that you come to be close to us. And I pray for each one of us that you might draw close to us, that we might know that you are close to us. That we might acknowledge that you are here with us, working in our lives and in our midst. Help me, Lord, share something that will build these folks up Come in power. Help me speak clearly. Help these guys listen. And may it all be to your fame and glory. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing a letter to the church in Corinth, the disorderly bunch. Go and read about the context sometimes, it's really helpful. These guys are super spiritual and pressing into all sorts of spiritual gifts and... uh, but it's, it's actually working out in chaos. You'd go along to this church and uh, you'd think, wow, okay, this is, there's some abuse of what God has given going on here. And, uh, you know, you might think this is not how it's to go. But Paul writes his letter to encourage the church and to, to kind of give them a bit of a steer as to what healthy church worship looks like. And it, you'll notice that the passage we read Um, is filled with the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. When the church comes together, the Spirit is at work, and the Spirit gives gifts to individual members so that uh, God might be glorified. So, what does Spirit-filled worship look like? Well, it begins with the confession that Jesus is Lord. See that um, in verse 3, where Paul says that no one, speaking by the Spirit of God, can say Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, when Paul says that, he doesn't mean that, you know, somebody can only utter those words under the power of the Spirit. 
You know, Bible talks elsewhere in the Gospels, talks about people who, you know, on the last day will say to Jesus, we said, you know, we called you Lord, Lord. Um, and we did many things for you. So he, he, Paul's not saying that somebody can only say those, like, actual verbal phrase by the power of the Spirit. But what he's saying is that confession that is at the heart of being a Christian. Jesus is Lord. It's something that the Spirit gives. Now, let me just think about the, the words there. Jesus is Lord. The word in Greek is kairos, which is the term that was used to describe, to, um, to it was the term used in place of the name of God when they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek. So in the Old Testament, God reveals his name to Moses at the burning bush. Um, he speaks his name to him, and the Jewish people so revered the name that they wouldn't say it. Instead, they replaced it with the word Lord. So if you read your Old Testament, you come across the word Lord in capital letters, that's the divine name there. And it speaks of God's unique identity. The one who created all things, who uphold all things, who is holy, holy, holy. And then what happens is we, we get to the New Testament and we encounter Jesus of Nazareth. And the people who met him understood that this was Israel's God in the flesh. Come to me as face to face. Doing all the wonderful things that Israel's God did. Setting the captives free. Bring, shining light into darkness. Healing the sick. Forgiving sins. This was God on earth. It's not just a man. And so there's a, there's a moment when each of us hears the good news about Jesus and something happens deep in our heart, deep inside us, where something shifts. This isn't just a, a figure from history. This is the one from whom all things come from. This is the ultimate reality standing amongst us, here to save. I believe and I trust him. I was 20, I was on an alpha course when I became a Christian, and I'd, I'd done, I mean, it's, it's, I feel kind of a bit embarrassed now I look back, because I was such a standard kind of like, go on alpha, ask all my questions, shout at people, I'll never become a Christian, blah, 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 and then he got me by the scruff of the neck. <laughs> um, and it just was this moment of revelation that, that Christ on the cross, praying, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. I was like, wow, that's the love of God for people. And I, I believed like a light went on. That moment when deep inside us we go, I believe Jesus is, is God. I believe this is the ultimate story that makes sense of everything else. I believe this gives me hope and life and I'm going to cling on to this. When that moment happens, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's saying here. And that's where all worship begins in the church, of just awe and delight as to who Jesus is. And it says that the Spirit comes and does that. Now that raises a question. Who is the Holy Spirit? If he has the power and authority to turn the lights on inside us, that we might know who Jesus is, who is he? Now, um, I mentioned earlier on about God's name in the Old Testament. The God of Israel has a, uh, a very unique identity, a unique CV, you could say. There's a bunch of things that only Israel's God does. Forgives sins, commands the universe, all this good stuff. Gets worshipped by angels. 
Um, and one of the things that Israel's God does that only he can do is reveal himself. And here we see that the Spirit reveals that Christ is Lord. So who is the Spirit? That he has the authority and the right to do that? Well, the Spirit is one with God the Father and God the Son, Jesus our Lord. This is the doctrine of the Trinity there in the background. Now, the Trinity is not a, a kind of riddle for Christians to solve. How does one plus one plus one still equal one? Uh, no, the, the Trinity is like the mystery at the heart of our faith and the gospel. That our God is a loving community, Father, Son, and Spirit. That they work together in all things. And we see a bit of that in Paul's mind, because in verse 4, he's talking about what happens in the church, and he says there's different gifts, but the same Spirit. There's different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There's different kinds of works, but the same God at work in all. Do you see what he's doing there? It's a nice little Trinitarian riff. He's just dropping it. He's not going to explain it. That's just how Paul rolls. Um, but one God at work, Spirit, Son, and the Father at work in the church. So when the church comes together and the Spirit is present with us, this isn't just kind of the heavenly butler who comes to hang out with the church. This is God himself present in us. What a wild thought. <laughs> what a wild thought, just kind of in abstract. Even crazier when you actually think about, you know, day-to-day -day church. I mean, you guys are a cool bunch. I'm enjoying hanging out with you. But what a crazy thought that God himself chooses to come and reside in you and the person next to you. You're like, really, him? Huh? <laughs> God is here, and this is how he chooses to meet with his people in the church. Let's think a little bit more about the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does. Um, and somewhere I've got a list of things which will, will pop up. Um, the New Testament says all sorts of glorious things about the Spirit. First thing to say is the Spirit is not a power, but is a person. So this isn't just kind of uh, an, like a tool that God uses, but rather this is God himself present with his people. The Spirit's not a power, but a person who speaks and communicates and wants relationship with us. Jesus is, is very clear. He, he refers to, particularly in John's Gospel, to the Spirit as a he. And so, so should we. The Spirit is a person who comes to be amongst us. And what does the Spirit do? He pours the love of God into our hearts. That's what Romans 5 says. God himself wants to make sure that you don't just know about God, but you feel it in the depths of your being. Do you feel the love of God deep within you today? Don't worry if you don't. You know, sometimes life's hard, sometimes we feel dry, sometimes we come to God and my soul is thirsty for you, Lord. Well, the Spirit is the one who comes to pour the love of God and refreshes. If that's what you need today, then ask him. Tell him that. The Spirit comes as the deposit and the seal of our salvation. He's like the down payment. Um, a lot of you are very young here. Terrifying thing may happen to you one day where you, uh, you buy a house. And when that happens, you, you put a deposit. You'll save 
long and hard for it, it'll be very painful, <laughs> uh, and then you give this big old chunk of money away. Uh, and that's like the first bit of what you're paying up. The Spirit is referred to as the deposit of our salvation. Like, the first bit of salvation comes to be in us. And it's also described as a seal. The Spirit is a seal who, uh, like, confirms and makes safe our salvation. Maybe you're doubting. What, am I saved? What does it mean to be saved? What, what does life in all of abundance look like? Well, the Spirit promises to come and to seal that, to, to be the deposit of that. So if you want that, ask him. He comes as the water of life to refresh our souls. He comes as God's fiery presence. Think about in the Old Testament when God turns up. Tends to be scary. There's pyrotechnics. Mount Sinai, fire descends on the mountain and folks can't go near. Well, that holy fire of God that burns up all that stands in opposition to him, that shines light into darkness, that heats up cold hearts, comes to live in you. So you see at Pentecost, don't you, in Acts 2, the fire of God comes and you think, "Uh uh-oh, it's going down. But then the fire rests on people because God's holy presence comes to rest on us. Earlier on in Corinthians, Paul says that the Spirit knows the mind of God and comes to share that knowledge with us. In John's Gospel, Jesus says, all that is mine, the Spirit will come and share with you. So Jesus is very secure in being the Son of God and God being his Father and he comes to give us the rights to be children of God. And he does that not just by kind of telling us a bunch of stuff in the Bible but by the Spirit coming into our hearts. So we get to be included in Jesus' relationship with his Heavenly Father. The Spirit comes to live in us and cry out, Father. Do you relate to God as your Father? Do you trust him? Are you able to be honest with him? Not performing, not uptight and religious, but like a son with his father, daughter with her father. If you want more of that, then the Spirit's the one to ask, because he's going to come and help bring freedom in that area. And then Jesus says that me and my father will come and live in you by the Holy Spirit. So when the Spirit comes, the whole Godhead comes with him. There's not a bit of God hanging back, being like, I don't know if I want to go and hang out in Cameron's life. And the Spirit's like, no, no, he's a work in progress, but we'll we'll go and, you know, live in him. And the Father's like, I don't know. No, Father and Son are there when the Spirit is there. The whole Godhead. God doesn't hang back. He's not reserved, but he comes to pour himself into your life with all its drama, with all its questions with the doubt and the hurting. God is not a distant God. He wants to be very, very involved. And earlier in Corinthians, Paul will say that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. That in the same way that God dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem in the Old Testament, and before that in the tabernacle, he comes to dwell in your life to make your very body a holy place. To make your very body a holy place. Think about God's presence in the Old Testament. It was lively. Things went on in the temple. Um, 
If you messed around, you might have got struck down. If you were hurting and ill, you might be healed. If you were confused and looking for guidance, you'd come to the temple and God might speak to you. It's where you would come to offer your best to God in worship and sacrifice. Your body is now the temple. Your life is now where God comes to dwell. And where worship begins, in here, as I come to him, authentic, honest, open, stirring myself up. Throughout the Bible, particularly in the Psalms, the the writers speak to themselves. You know, awake my soul. They're stirring themselves to worship. They use gestures, they raise hands, they get down on their knees. Um, They raise their voices. These physical things that are key and a part of worship because it's not just you know what we think about but it's how we use our whole being because God comes to dwell in us God is at work in our lives Ian remind me what time I'm wrapping this up uh, in about 15 minutes 15 minutes okay cool you still with me holding on great splendid um, cool let me think a little bit on like what what does it look like? What does it what does it mean that the spirit comes to like dwell in us? And it's kind of I don't know. Let's get a bit psychological and break that down a bit. Um, I love I love thinking about things of the spirit. I love being open to the spirit. Um, but I also uh, might have been a, because I became a Christian later in life. Might be because I'm just the way the Lord shaped me. I like to teach. I like to demystify things. I don't like to kind of get over spiritual I like to just try and help unpack so people feel kind of confident and, uh, and at peace sometimes kind of this idea that God lives in us that God speaks to us can um, some people think I just I don't know what that even means <laughs> um, whereas other people just intuitively get it and if that's you wonderful but let's un- unpack it a little bit what, what does it mean well I said the spirit's not not just a tool of God, not some kind of power tool, but is the very person of God come to live in us. And so there's a sense of relationship there. And that, that happens to say that there's like a relationship deep within my being. It's a, it's a bit of a strange thought, because most of our relationships happen like this. Me and Ian went for a pint yesterday. He sat across the table from me. He's not speaking inside my head. If that happened, I probably wouldn't have turned up today. <laughs> um, yeah, most of our relationships, are, we're used to relating outside of ourselves, but this relationship with the Spirit is deep within us. What does that mean? Well, I, th- I found this, that throughout my Christian life, there's been moments where, between these ears, you know, in the kind of processes of my thoughts and um, feelings and all of that, there's been a moment, there's been lots of moments where I've, I've felt like something has kind of suggested itself to me but doesn't just feel like the standard soundtrack of Matt Fell. Something from almost outside myself and yet deep within myself happens. Something that, yeah, like I said, hasn't come from me but has come from the Lord. He's spoken to me. Now it happens, some people experience audible voices. Um, but for the most part, it, it happens in, in thoughts and feelings which occur all within here. Yeah? Not outside, but within here. But there's a sense like it's almost like they're in bold. 
You know, and there's a clear sense that this isn't just me thinking, although I, I, it's still happening within here, there's something from without. And, and you can raise all sorts of questions about that. Isn't that a bit kind of like subjective? Like, isn't that just a bit like, you know, whatever you're feeling at the time could be very kind of new agey or whatever. I, I get those concerns and we're going to ad address them in a, sec in a second. But the first thing to note is that it still has to happen within here. Because the spirit comes to live in our lives. You are a temple of a, God that, of, of a living God. And that means he's going to use your thoughts, use your feelings. And you know the good thing is, he made them in the first place. You are fine-tuned by the Lord for him to speak to you through all of those things. He knows what he's doing. Um, so the spirit comes and he speaks within us, stirring our hearts, stirring our minds. But how do we know that? How do we know it's not just, I ate too much cheese last night? Um, well, the Spirit comes to speak to us about the things that are Christ's. That's what Jesus says. He will come and share all that I've taught you with you. He's going to help you remember the things that he'd said. And so the Spirit works with the Word of God. The Spirit inspired the Word of God. And the Spirit uses it to shape and guide us. To be filled with the Spirit means that the Word of God comes alive within us. Um, that our thoughts and our, our feelings kind of get inclined to what the Lord has said in Scripture. And so if you want to hear the Holy Spirit, the first thing I want to commend is, is that you read your Bible and learn to hear his voice there. Because then you're going, to, you're going to be able to detect. It's a little bit like, you know, who's a musician? Hands up if you're a musician. Oh, I thought we might have more in such a uh, funky church. You know, you're learning, um, I'm a bassist. I don't know what that says about me. This guy's feeling it. He's like, yes, bassists of the world unite. You know what? When I met my wife, uh, we were getting to know each other. She was like, do you play a musical instrument? I was like, yes. And she was really excited about that. And then I said I was a bassist. And she was like, oh, really? <laughs> What's that about? Anyway, I just needed to process that. Um, The more you play your instrument, the more you learn what a note sounds like. And so you can tune your instrument to the note. Um, I never got that good at it. I always had to use a tuner. I was always very impressed by people. I bet Cameron can just, by ear, be like, dung. The more we read our Bibles, the more we, we learn to just kind of, we're in tune. We can recognise the note of the Spirit speaking to us deep within. So to be filled with the Spirit, to know what the Spirit, to, to hear the Spirit speaking to us, it's to, to hear the voice of Christ within us. To be reassured of gospel truth. Uh, to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us and who we are in him. To be reminded about how the Lord sees other people and situations. It's not just a, how am I feeling, but it's, it's a sense that the Lord is speaking, reminding me speaking to me deep within of his, of his heart and his intention and his thought for things. And so to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the life of Jesus in us. Let's take a, a little bit of a trip away from 1 Corinthians. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and open this up.
And let's look at verse 18 onwards, 518 onwards. Paul says this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there Paul's talking about being filled with the Spirit. Um, So that when the Spirit comes to live in us, that is like a, a permanent, like irretractable thing. God comes to live in us. He doesn't then withdraw. He stays. He makes his home in you. But Paul can talk about being filled with the Spirit. Um, it's like, you know, if you moved into a house, uh, you want to you spread your stuff out into all the rooms, don't you? You want to make that place your own, uh, rather than just kind of stay in the doorway when you first get there. Well, the Spirit wants to come and fill our lives. So Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, be filled by the Spirit. And actually the verb that he used, which our our Bibles translate fill, be filled, means kind of ongoingly, keep being filled. The Spirit is the infinite Lord. You can never be filled enough with him. This is a mad thought. He sustains all things as God and comes to live in you, and because of who he is, you can never be too filled with the Spirit. There's always more to receive from him. And so Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Now here's an interesting thing. If you uh, keep a finger in Ephesians 5, but flick over past Philippians to Colossians. And now let me read this from 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Sounds good, doesn't it? The peace of Jesus in us. Uh, Since members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you see a parallel between those two passages? Give me a nod if you do. Yeah? To be filled with the Spirit and to have the Word of Christ living in us looks like the same thing because they are two sides of the one coin. Does that make sense? So to be filled with the Spirit means to have the Word come and live in you richly. Like it to come and to to deck you out for your life to be decorated with the Word of God. Looks the same thing as being filled with the Spirit. I love that in Ephesians 5, Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And there's like a, in his mind, there's like an analogy there. It's don't do this, do this instead, because this is better. To be filled with the Spirit is like a, is something equivalent but better to being filled with wine. Um, and I, I love this image, that the Spirit coming in us is a joy-filled thing. That the Spirit comes in us to help us uh, to make our faces glad. You know, you have a good glass of wine, maybe you drink, maybe you don't, but if, if you know, wine is typically associated with joy, with celebration, with partying, with relaxation, uh, with savouring God's good gifts. 
And the Spirit comes into us to do that thing, those same things. I've got some um, quotes up from some, just to kind of make the point that this isn't just a kind of modern, charismatic thing, but actually this has been a a part of what the church has always historically believed. Um, Here's a guy, Cyril, uh, from Jerusalem in the 4th century. Um, He ran something very similar to the ID course, so he's a bit of a hero of mine. He talks about being filled with the Spirit as a sober intoxication. A sober intoxication. He says this uh, sober intoxication which kills sin and gives life to the heart. And which is the opposite of physical drunkenness. Drunkenness makes a person forget what he knows. This kind instead brings understanding of the things that were not known. So to be filled with the Spirit means that you have this understanding, this deep, heartfelt understanding of what God has done for you in Christ and how he views the world. And it stirs you. And there's something parallel to being drunk, but better. Sober intoxication. Here's another quote uh, from Augustine. The apostle said, Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Then, as if to clarify what we should be intoxicated with, he adds but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord of all your heart. Doesn't a person who rejoices in the Lord sing to him exuberantly? Doesn't a person, sorry, who rejoices in the Lord and sings to him exuberantly seem like a person who is drunk? I like this kind of intoxication. You head out on a Friday night in Glasgow, you know, at a certain hour, maybe let's say like 1.30, People are warmed up enough by that point. You're going to hear some singing, you know, particularly if it's been a good night out for people. They're going to be walking home. There's going to be chanting. There's going to be singing. There's going to be banter. They're not taking themselves so seriously anymore because they're, they're drunk. Now, we're not, I'm not saying that that's a positive thing. But there's something about that which we all find attractive, isn't there? You know, um, maybe not the excess, the waste, the kind of all the bad things which come with it, but that kind of freedom drunk people have, that kind of, you know, Am I allowed to say this? It almost, there's like a fun going on there. Well, like, these guys are saying that when one is filled with the Spirit, one isn't preoccupied with yourself anymore. You're not worried about getting all the right words. Or doing, you're, you're relaxed and free and singing, and there's joy welling up in you. And there's like a sense of, you know, I remember before I was a Christian, something about a night out with people which really binds you together, isn't there? You know, um, and that's to happen in the church. There's like an overflowing joy that makes you my brother and my sister. And, you know, maybe even slightly uptight British people start hugging each other or high-fiving and, you know, those kind of things. There's like a, a loosening up others which comes when the Spirit is in us. And it looks like it works itself out in singing songs and giving thanks joy there's like a feel of party isn't there not just a kind of very religious stand up sing the songs now but a a a sincere overflowing of the heart with joy for what jesus has done for me he's forgiven me i don't have to take myself seriously i don't have to worry about correcting myself because i'm standing under his lavish grace there's hope for me all my anxieties start to grow dim and quiet as i think actually I have one who's going to shepherd me through my life and work all things for good. As that peace comes into my heart, 
as you look at the person around you and you see the purposes of God over their life and you kind of just you want to encourage them and build them up and just say God loves you and he's got good works for you prepared in advance it's a joyous thing which when the spirit comes now this this might all sound like it might all sound kind of uh it could sound like you know a, a spiritual high and a good time but actually this is essential for the christian life Elsewhere, Paul will talk about keeping in step with the Spirit. Like the Spirit's like a coach, like a trainer, training you in Christ-likeness, in living the abundant life as a, as a Christian. God himself comes to show you what that looks like in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so to be filled with the Spirit, to be open to the Spirit, to cultivate that relationship is essential for our growth as Christians. That's why Jesus said it's better for me to go so that you might have the Holy Spirit, so that Christ himself would come and walk beside you by his Spirit, day in, day out. So that he might work through us. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to learn what it looks like to to be filled with him and to speak, to encourage, to let that work out in our life. And church is the place where that happens. Of course, you can be filled with the Spirit anywhere you are, you know, on the bus going into town, in your bedroom reading your Bible, walk out in the highlands, wherever. The Spirit is, he's everywhere, he can't be curtailed. But there's something special about when the church comes together that the Spirit says, I am there and I'm going to work amongst you, so expect me. And when we come together as the church, the expectation in the passages that we've read isn't that just one or two people filled with the Spirit come and stand up here and do stuff, but that actually all of us come together as the body of Christ. And each one of you is a member of that body. Each one of you comes to bring something, has a gift that the Spirit gives you to share. And there's all sorts of good stuff going on in this. Let me name a few. When I come to church, sometimes I'm having a great week. You know, I really felt the Lord's hand on me. I'm just enjoying his grace, reading my Bible. But quite a few times, actually life is hard and there's challenges and there's bills. And, you know, one of the kids was up at four o'clock in the morning wanting to play Thunderbirds with me. And, you know, all of that stuff. And so I come to church tired and haggard and all of those things. And you know what? I need your prayers. I need your worship. I need your enthusiasm. I need you to be filled with the Spirit and to speak truth that's going to help me. You ever had that moment where you come to the church or a small group and old Barbara over there just prays something and it just lights you up? <laughs> and you needed that. Do you know that wonderful story in the Gospels where um, there's a guy who's paralysed and his mates have to carry him to Jesus? More often than not, I'm that man. And I need the, my church family to carry me to Jesus. And the way that they do that is by bringing their contributions, by praying out loud, even when they feel nervous to do so. You serve the people around you. If we're going to be built up together, the folks at the front can't do it all. It has to be the whole church contributing. And so back to Corinthians. There's this list of things that the Spirit gives us 
And we don't have time to unpack them all. But he says this in verse 7, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Um, so the Spirit is at work in you for the good of everybody around you. So the Spirit is going to be working in you, speaking to you, stirring your thoughts, stirring your imagination, stirring your emotions to bless the folks around you when you come to church. And, you know, we, are, we so often come to church being like, what am I going to hear today? What are you going to speak to me? And, of course, that's, that's good. Ask the Lord to speak to you. The Lord wants to deal with you directly. But actually, the Spirit is in you for the common good, to bless others. And often you give as you give away. You get, sorry, as you give away. You know, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Goes on. To one that, through the Spirit, there's given a, a message of wisdom. When we come together, someone's going to have a, a stirring of wisdom in their heart. Now, that, that might be from the front. That might be wisdom given through the sermon. But it might also be that the, Lord, the Lord's stirring your heart with something. You might think, oh, hang on, Harry's over there. And I just, I just want to encourage him into like, the Lord's ways of wisdom. Or it might be you, just, you feel actually the Lord's heart for us as a family is that we would really push into praying for this one thing or giving into this situation. And so you share it, you bring it. Goes on to another message of knowledge. Knowledge is a bit more kind of specific. Wisdom's a bit broader. Knowledge is like what's going on in this situation. Might be that you know you've been praying for your friend's uh, work situation, and you just feel like the Lord's given you something, and so you go and share it with them, and that unlocks and changes things. Um, I heard a story from the, the other day of one guy who went to visit a friend of his in his friend's office, and as he walked in, he felt the Lord say, "The guy in that office there." is defrauding this company and stealing money. And so my friend Rob shared this with his friend, and his friend was like, what? Bob? No, Bob's like a great guy. Um, but it niggled him, and he looked into it. And yeah, this guy was stealing money from the business and, and framing um, Rob's friend for it. And, and the spirit just revealed it to Rob. I mean, isn't that mad? <laughs> um, and, and the whole thing was, this guy ended up going to prison, and yeah, crazy. But sometimes the spirit speaks of specific knowledge about a situation to others given the gift of prophecy prophecy is speaking god's truth over a situation over a person to others a gift of tongues tongues is a moment where the spirit just freezes from overthinking our prayers you know, you, have a, you go to pray out loud, your kind of knees start knocking, you're like, am I going to say all the right things? Am I praying to the Father or to the Son? Oh, I don't know. And someone's, you know, theological Harry over there is going to be criticising everything I say. Well, the Spirit wants you to, to be free. And so sometimes he enables you just to babble words that don't make sense, which just pour out of you, that express what's on your heart before God. And it's a gift. It's a gift of freedom to you. So you, Paul says, when you pray with tongues, you're not praying with your mind, but with your spirit. Sometimes our minds just need to switch off a little bit, just to free us up. Now, typically, tongues happens as a gift to us as individuals, but sometimes it happens in the congregation. So somebody feels like, oh, I feel like I want to bring a, a, a tongue, uh, and then 
they bring it to the elders, say, I feel like this is on my heart, and the elders say, yeah, it's a good moment to do that, it's a good moment in how everybody's feeling and where the service is at, so you bring it to the church, and it's to stir our hearts. Paul then says to somebody else who's given the gift of interpretation. And so the expectation and can be, feel a bit awkward and, and, uh, to do it in the moment, but actually what Scripture says is we should wait for them to be an interpretation. So somebody else in the congregation just gets a sense of what you were praying and comes and brings that in English so that we can all hear. And when we speak in a tongue, um, it's, it's always our expression of worship and praise to God rather than God speaking to us. God is very clear when he speaks. He doesn't speak in a veiled way. Tongues is us to God. And, uh, and someone brings the interpretation to build us all up. All these things are going on. There's more on the list. Healing, miracles. The Spirit stirs our heart with these things and you have faith for them. So when you come to church, do you expect to meet with the living God? Do you, ex- do you acknowledge that he is in you? And he's in you to speak to you, to stir you, but also to, to help you serve. A good illustration I heard Terry Virgo once say is, it's a little bit like when you're, you're, you're playing football and you're, you're looking, you know, am I where, what's my position vis-a-vis the rest of the team? Is the ball at my feet? Is this a moment where actually I'm, I'm to move this thing forward and take responsibility for it? Don't come to church as a passenger. As someone just viewing, is the ball at my feet? Is this a moment where I can bring something to just keep turning the spiritual atmosphere up, to keep building others up? Now, if we would, had time, we'd go a little bit further into uh, Corinthians to see that when this happens, it's, it's, it's not to be a kind of chaotic free-for-all, because that doesn't build people up. If it's all kind of mayhem and um, things that Paul will say, make sure you do everything in good order. Now, I'm, I live in Cambridge. We have a lot of engineers in Cambridge. We love good order. But more recently, me and myself and the, the other leaders have been having to, be, to remind the church the first bit of that sentence. Do everything in good order. Sometimes you've got to have a little bit of chaos because you've got to make sure that there's stuff to do which then needs to be organised. Yeah? So don't be worried about it being too messy. But at the same time, Order. God gives elders to the church, shepherds who can help steer these things, have wisdom and guidance. And so uh, I believe the practice here is if you, something, you want to bring something, like a, a prophetic word or a tongue, you come and you bring it to the guys at the front. Get them just to weigh it. It's just a really helpful way for, for them to train you. Yeah, Just to have somebody just to give you that confidence before you bring it. But when we gather together, let's have that expectation that the Spirit is with us, in me, speaking through me, my heart, my mind, to stir other people.